In an effort to appease the Bernie Sanders faction of the Democratic Party, Joe Biden announced his unity platform with Bernie Sanders, which pulls Joe Biden a bit further left than he probably would go normally. Now, I'm not going to say or pretend like he's as far left as the far lefties want, but he is a bit more far left. And recently, Joe Biden has announced his nine point plan for tackling climate change issues or his climate agenda. And surprise, surprise, many unions are actually worried because this would dramatically transform the economy. And like one of the things that Joe Biden announced was like, you know, net zero emission vehicles, which I'm pretty sure means no gas. I'm not going to speculate too much as to what you can expect from a zero emission vehicle. I don't know, maybe hydrogen cell or something. But a lot of people are going to see that and immediately assume it means no more gas. Well, there are a lot of unions that work in the energy sector, and this is scary to them. And Joe Biden definitely needs their support, particularly in swing states like Pennsylvania. The Washington Examiner says Biden's liberal climate change policies feared by unions in Pennsylvania. First, I'd like to point out it's not a liberal climate policy. It is a rather far left climate policy. And again, maybe not as far left as the Bernie people actually want, but certainly further left than most people would assume Joe Biden would go. He's supposed to be the moderate, right? This, I dare say, will backfire on Joe Biden. I really think so. You remember what Hillary Clinton said about ending the coal, you know, these coal jobs or whatever when she was running back in 2015? You see, what they don't realize is that when Biden says these things about the environment, it's not some small dying industry. It's every single job associated with the energy sector getting scared that their their livelihood will slowly be eroded. And now, of course, we're seeing many people starting to speak up. But you know why it's not surprising at all to me, outside of the fact that, I mean, obviously people would be scared by this. It's because when Ocasio-Cortez announced her Green New Deal, unions immediately stood up and said, no, you're going to take away our jobs. So, of course, in this nine point plan from Joe Biden, he says, no, no, we're going to create 10 million new clean jobs. But again, they don't seem to understand what they're saying. And this may be one of the biggest trip ups of the Biden campaign so far. Now, to be fair, I think everybody realizes that people in November are going to vote for or against Trump and no one really cares about Joe Biden. But I'll tell you this, man, if you scare enough regular people, they're not going to they're not going to you know, their hatred won't get them over that hump. A lot of these people might really hate Trump and want to vote against him. But if they're scared of Joe Biden and how he might actually end their jobs, they're going to go for uh, they're going to go and vote for Trump for one simple reason. You can talk about creating jobs. But what you need to understand, Mr. Biden and the Democrats, is that we are telling people is you will be fired and they will get a new job. It doesn't help you. So the individual is going to say, don't take my job away just so you can help somebody else. Create a new job doesn't guarantee I get work. So, of course, they need things like federal jobs guarantees. It's part of why AOC in her Green New Deal, they announced this. Well, many people are saying Joe Biden's attempt at a Green New Deal is basically the same thing. And whether or not that's true is irrelevant, because as I often tell you, messaging is more important. PR is more important. And as it turns out, union workers actually think it's the same thing. So let's talk about what's really going on. What is Joe Biden proposing and how is it going to backfire against him? But I do want to mention one more thing just before we get started. Mike Pence recently gave a speech where he said, when you vote in November, it's not about left or right. It's about whether whether or not you want America to remain America. And we've got some big news pertaining to the Supreme Court. So all of this ties together. I I do believe it's fair to say 
Come November, you're going to be voting for America as it is, as, as you like it to be, or something totally different. And we can see it in the proposals from people like Joe Biden and Ocasio-Cortez. Before we get started, however, head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There's many ways you can give, but the best thing you can actually do is, well, I usually don't say this, but subscribe. I know a lot of people watch my videos. Most of them don't actually subscribe. It's actually true that more than half of people who watch are not subscribed. So if you really do think I uh, think I'm doing a good job, if you want to make sure you get access to my videos, hit that subscribe button. But if you just want to watch and maybe come back whenever, hit the like button if you would be so inclined. Let's read the news. The examiner says Biden's liberal climate policies feared by unions in Pennsylvania. Jim Cassidy, business manager of the uh, Insulators Local 2 Union just outside Pittsburgh, knows Joe Biden as a friend of labor. He keeps a photo of himself with Biden in his office from when the former vice president visited Aliquippa, Pennsylvania in 2018 to campaign for then U.S. candidate Connor Lamb, a centrist Democrat. It's a visual reminder of Biden's longtime support for unionized workers who build things. But Cassidy, 55, is torn over whether Biden, the Democratic presidential nominee, would be an enemy of the fossil fuel industry whose workers he represents, workers who install insulation material on piping and boilers in natural gas plants. Let me stop there and tell you exactly what I've been saying. You can come out and say no more coal, no more fossil fuels, but you don't get it, do you? What you're really saying is every single job down that line you're gone. Somebody who installs insulation, you're not going to have a job when there's no fossil fuels. Therein lies the big conundrum for the Democrats. And here's the quote. Joe Biden is really one of us. I always loved the man, said Cassidy, a registered Democrat. He scares me now. Is he embracing the new Green Deal or whatever they're calling it? He needs to get some stuff straight. Cassidy said he will vote for Biden, trusting Biden will come around to recognize how the natural gas fracking boom over the past decade has been a godsend in western and northeastern Pennsylvania, replacing the fading coal and steel industries. But Cassidy's concerns are shared by leaders of other building trade unions based in these closely watched regions of Pennsylvania, a key swing state. Quote, I am completely shocked and stunned about the language coming from Joe Biden, allegedly a union guy, said Jim Snell, business agent, for Steamfitters Local 420 in southeastern Pennsylvania, whose 4,600 members install piping systems in oil refineries, natural gas plants, and infrastructure projects. The Democratic Party has kicked the building trades to the curb, and they are all in with the environmental groups. And there it is. Yeah, people are realizing it's going to negatively impact their jobs. Now, listen, I can respect when people say we want sound environmental policy. I love nature. I love going for hikes, all that good stuff. I be, I'm, I'm an environmentalist to varying degrees. I wouldn't consider myself to be as you know far left as many of these other activists who go out and dedicate themselves to it. But I did work for some of the biggest environmental nonprofits in the world because I do believe we must protect this planet. I do. I also recognize that there are sound ways to slowly transition, to do it in a way that won't hurt people's livelihoods and their lives and scare them and shock them. So what you need to understand is, listen, we are all in this together. It's one planet. We got to work together. Now, that includes this guy, Jim Snell. His life matters the same as mine does. And I got to make sure that when we come to a new conclusion that the environment needs protecting, we don't just take people and say, except for you, you get kicked out into the cold. That's not okay. So let's figure out the appropriate way to deal with these transitions, not the way that Joe Biden is talking about it. Unfortunately, he's going too radical because he's trying to pander to the far left. 
The examiner says Biden moves far left. In a series of conversations with the Washington Examiner over recent weeks, the union officials, all registered Democrats, expressed alarm at Biden's shift to the left on energy policy while giving him some benefit of the doubt that they would not grant to more liberal candidates such as Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, who pledged to ban fracking during the campaign. Biden has promised to end new fracking leases on federal lands, where only 13% of natural gas was produced in 2017. But he has struggled to overcome the gaffe during a pointed exchange with Sanders in a March debate in which Biden declared no new fracking. With Biden, there is some level of thought that he is saying certain things because it's a line you need to walk at this point to get elected. There are folks giving him that leeway, said Jeff Nobers, executive director of the Builders Guild of Western Pennsylvania, representing 60,000 workers and contractors in construction trades. Biden seeking to energize young and liberal voters is doubling down on an agenda to build a clean energy economy of the future that transitions away from fossil fuels, viewing the recovery from the coronavirus pandemic as an opportunity to respond to climate change. I got a message. I'm sorry. I got I got to stop to these union guys. Hear me out. Do you really think that once Joe Biden gets elected, he will turn around and go back to supporting you? Now, I guess the idea is that Bernie Sanders is far left. And so, you know, he means it when he says he's going to shut all this down. But Joe Biden is just saying it so he can get elected. Is that really what you think? If that were true, wouldn't he but he just be promising you sweet nothings to get elected? If he's not going to hold his promise to other people, why would he hold it to you? The only assumption you can make is he means it when he says it. Otherwise, you're saying straight up you want to vote for a liar. I mean, maybe that's the case. Maybe that's what you really think. I think there are many people uh, who support Trump who would feel similarly, like they trust him. You trust Biden to do the right thing. I'm sorry, I don't. I think actions speak louder than words. And the only actions I can see from Joe Biden is that he's absolutely catering to the far left. Why would I assume he would change his tune after getting elected? I bring you now to the nine key elements of Joe Biden's plan for a clean energy energy revolution. We can go quickly through this, but first, he wants to take executive action on day one, not just to reverse all the damage Trump has done, but go further. He even mentions this, check this out, developing rigorous new fuel economy standards aimed at ensuring 100% of new sales for light and medium duty vehicles will be zero emissions, protecting America's natural treasures by permanently protecting the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge and, and so on and so forth. My bigger focus here is on the jobs and how unions will feel about it. I don't know if there's a certain way he's planning on getting to zero emissions for light and medium duty vehicles, but I imagine that means what, like electric or something. But even electric still have, an, uh, have a carbon footprint. So sounds like electricity, sure, fine. He goes on to talk about a bunch of issues, but he does, to be fair, bring up, create 10 million good paying middle class union jobs. This is his attempt to placate the unions that are scared. He says every federal dollar spent on rebuilding our infrastructure during the Biden administration will be used to prevent, reduce and withstand the impacts of this climate crisis. American workers should build American infrastructure and manufacture all the materials that go into it. And all of those and all of these workers must have the option to join a union and collectively bargain. Biden will ensure his infrastructure legislation incorporates labor provisions so federal investments create millions of middle class jobs, benefiting workers across industries. Now, I know that sounds good. And I could be wrong about this, but to me, it sounds like you, sir, in the energy sector will lose your job. Why? Well, we got to have zero emission cars, bro. That's the way we're going to do it. We're going to shut down fracking in certain areas, like Joe Biden said. It was a gaffe, they say, when he said no new fracking, but I'm sorry, we're going to shut down your industry. Now, don't, don't worry. You may be out of a job, 
but we're going to have fresh new jobs over there for other people. So while you may no longer have work, other people will. I don't see that's supposed to help or make people feel safe when their job is taken away. Telling someone you're going to take their job and create a job, I think is still a net detriment. Trump's not saying that. Trump's straight up like, we're going we're gonna to make everything work for you. And he has. The economy was great before COVID. So it looks like, as I've stated, in his attempts to play this game, it backfires much the same way it did against AOC. Check out the story from June of last year. The Green New Deal is fracturing, fracturing a critical base for Democrats. Unions. I'm sorry. I think it's obvious. This story from Reason says Biden's new Green Deal is the same as the old Green New Deal. New Green New Deal. I love that. It's uncanny how solving climate change just happens to require the progressive's longstanding economic agenda. Reason writes, although he doesn't call it that, Joe Biden, the presumptive 2020 presidential nominee of the Democratic Party, rolled out his version of the Green New Deal during a Tuesday speech on how his administration would handle man-made climate change. The uh, take the Green New Deal resolution introduced by AOC. While somewhat vaguely aspirational, this aims to commit the U.S. to net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050, to creating millions of unionized jobs, to investing much more in clean infrastructure and industry, to hugely expanding public transit and high speed rail, and to greatly increasing federal support for research and development in no carbon energy generation. In June 2019, AOC estimated it would cost $10 trillion. They go, uh, so I'm, I'm going to skip ahead of this. They say in his climate speech this week, Biden declared that we have nine years before the damage is irreversible. This dire forecast seems to be an update of AOC's claim that we've got 12 years to turn it around. Both politicians are misrepresenting the findings of a 2018 intergovernmental panel on climate change report, which concluded that humanity could cut global carbon dioxide emissions by 40 to 50 percent by 2030 to have a good chance of, of limiting future average warming to below 1.5 degrees Celsius. I'm not going to read too much into this because I think they've made their point very clear that it's very much so the same plan, very much so the same plan. And as Fox Business puts it, Biden's climate plan is a disaster for American workers. The best way to recover from the economic slowdown is to allow American businesses freedom and flexibility. And I got to say, I agree with that. You look, we, we, we do have a, a challenge between balancing the health of our environment and our economy. It's something that comes up. You'll often hear conservatives say, you know, we can't sacrifice the economy because of these, you know, because of these reports and things like that. But the, the conversation is more nuanced than the left or the right would put it for each other. However, I got to say very simply, one of the biggest challenges we face as a country is the loss of our manufacturing base. Many of our, uh, our jobs that once existed in small towns went off to China and other countries for several reasons. For one, free trade agreements. You could put a factory in China, make the product and bring it right back to the US with no tariffs. This may, made a lot of sense to businesses then when economic, uh, and, or I should say when environmental regulations came into place. Let's say you produce skateboards and you have a certain amount of carbon emissions that you produce for some reason. I don't know, whatever, cars. Well, if they say you can only produce a certain amount of carbon, and China says, we don't care. Well, and it's simple. Move your factory over to China, import everything because, well, why not? There's no tariffs or anything. I think then it becomes very clear what Trump has been doing with environmental policy and with putting these tariffs uh, you know, on imported goods, but uh, particularly from China. Trump's trying to bring these jobs back to the United States. Well, I'm sorry, man. Whatever the intention is, 
because I love some good environmental policy. I love protecting the environment. Clean air, man. Do we want to breathe in nasty? No, no, no. We want to breathe in good air. But there is a big problem. If you start implementing these harder rules and there are countries that don't have these rules, you incentivize companies to leave. Well, there's one simple answer. The reality is we can have well thought out climate policy and perhaps no free trade. I don't know, you know exactly how you would do it, but we want to make sure we incentivize companies to work here in the US and we want to make sure they do it clean. You can't just say you can't produce X amount of emissions. It's not a solution. Then you just lose the factory outright and you're hurting the workers. You can't just say no emissions because then people just start pumping out pollutants like crazy. You got to do it in a sound and balanced way. And unfortunately, it seems like we're not really going to get that. Now, to be fair, I don't think Trump is trying to overtly destroy the environment. I think he's trying to find that balance. But Joe Biden is embracing a far left, more radical plan than, than Trump is. So what is, the, what is a regular suppo- person supposed to do? You've got the short-term thinking, which in my opinion is really, really great for us to survive today. We need it. You've got potential long-term thinking. If we don't protect our environment, we're going to get sick and it's going to be bad for everybody. So where do you find the balance? Unfortunately, when given the choice, it looks like Joe Biden just, it's too far in one direction. You're not getting a reasoned and balanced choice with this Green New Deal. And I know this being the internet, you're going to see a bunch of far lefties ragging on me saying, oh, Tim's wrong. He's claiming Joe Biden is far left, blah, blah, blah. Well, he's far left compared to where Trump is. And Trump isn't that far left relative to where America's always been, at least for the past several decades. Track any of the data. This unity plan with Bernie Sanders pulls Joe Biden far left. They don't want to accept it because there's no line for them, right? If you look at the New York Times' data, on the Democratic Party manifesto versus the Republicans, Barack Obama did pull the Democratic Party far left. And now with Joe Biden moving even further left, yeah, Joe Biden is embracing far left policy in an effort to pander to the far left who probably doesn't want to vote for him anyway. So it seems like all he's going to do is ostracize both groups. I'm sorry, man. If you've got a right wing, a moderate wing, and a left wing, and the left is super far left, then Trump has that better bet. But listen, if you're a Trump voter, this is not a guarantee. As we've already heard, these union guys are straight up saying, you know, they'll give them the benefit of the doubt. They'll vote for Biden. That to me is shocking considering Biden's sordid history. They've called him corrupt for years. And all of a sudden now that he's running against Trump, they say he's not corrupt. You know what? I would never, I'm not going to vote for Sleepy Joe. I think he's ineffective, well, well past his prime and incapable of handling one of the most stressful jobs on the planet. That doesn't say a whole lot for Trump, to be honest. But it does say that Trump's got more going for him than Biden does. But I'll tell you what, we'll throw it, we'll throw it, to, we'll throw it to Mr. Vice President Mike Pence. He warns, the 2020 election is about whether America remains America. Joe Biden would set America on a path of socialism and decline. I don't necessarily agree that Joe Biden would set us on a path of social, socialism and decline. But I do technically agree. The issue is not what Joe Biden believes. It's that Joe Biden is weak and he would be walked all over. They just push him to the side and come in and say, house is ours. It's like the old guy opens the door, you know, kids knock on the door and he has no no idea what's going on. Hey, yo, kids, come on in. And then they start partying while he falls asleep and they use his pad. That's what it's going to be. And that's probably why many far left people do like Biden. So while I certainly don't, (laughs) don't agree with Mike Pence's worldview and a lot of his politics, I at least view it as part of what America's been. And while I do think progress is a good thing, 
like real progress. And I would like to see a, a, a little bit of a moderate leftward push. Admittedly, Trump is fairly moderate, but I lean a little bit more left. I'm an ind- left-leaning independent voter. That's actually what Pew calls me. I think the far left is way too far left. So the only real option I can see is for a regular American, Trump. That's true. That doesn't mean that Trump is, a, you know, he's, he's who you should vote for. I'm not saying that. I'm, a, I'm not saying necessarily that I'm guaranteed to vote for him. I will give this one shout out, though, for people who want to know. Trump trying to remove our troops from the Middle East is the most important thing, in my opinion, for me, not for everybody. I don't think you're going to be able to argue that away from me. You know, you, you, the left can come to me all day and night and say you shouldn't vote for Trump for these reasons. And I'm going to be like getting our troops out of the Middle East. And I didn't even ask him to do it. He just started doing it. And I'm like, mm, I kind of agree with that. You know what I mean? Well, I actually really agree with that. But whether or not that gets me over the hurdle to vote for Trump, we'll see. I'm leaning in favor of voting for Trump as it stands right now for reasons I've stated. I'm not going to give Joe Biden the benefit of the doubt. I think he's going to go nuts. I think he's going to burn everything down because he's desperate to win. But there is one other issue. Right now, we have some shocking and and worrisome news with the utmost respect to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who has uh, lived a storied and and very successful and um, legendary life. She's undergoing chemotherapy due to liver cancer. So 100% hoping for the best. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is without, without a doubt one of the strongest human beings I have ever heard of. First of all, she's 87, but she's undergone now the fifth cancer treatment. Much respect. Look, I can have my disagreements with people, and I hope you can too. And I hope within those disagreements you recognize we're all Americans, and this is how it's supposed to be. Kind of. I mean, not necessarily. But what, what I mean is, I disagree with Ruth Bader Ginsburg on some of her rulings, but I have tremendous respect for the life she's, she's lived and how she's worked within the U.S. system to accomplish her goals. Tremendous respect, breaking barriers, proving that in America you can succeed with hard work and dedication. And now five rounds, a fifth battle with cancer, and she's, she's still working. Tremendous respect. But let's be real. Whoever gets elected next is going to change the game. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, again, with all due respect, is, is coming to the point where she will either have to retire or for the obvious reason, she will no longer be on the Supreme Court. Not just that, though. We're also hearing rumors that Justice Alito may retire. Now, Alito, I, my understanding is, is, is more conservative. And Ginsburg is obviously more of the liberal side of the court. I hate using that word liberal. But this means we're potentially looking at three seats opening up in the next year, couple years. Whoever wins this is going to change the game. Now you can argue Joe Biden is going to win and, and it doesn't matter because the Republicans can come back. They can, they can strike back and they can win again in 2022 and then 2024 with the presidency. Nah, they're probably going to get three, three Supreme Court seats. Now you might argue the same for Trump. The Democrats might say, well, you know what? If Trump might win this one and the Republicans could take the House and the Senate, but at least we'll come back in 2024, they're going to get three seats. Because it's not just about Alito Ginsburg. It's also about Stephen Breyer, who's 81. Now, I haven't heard anything necessarily about his potential retirement. But listen, let's just be real, man. John Roberts, I would estimate he's probably going to be in for a little bit. Why? He's 65. Okay. Average life life expectancy, age of retirement. He'll probably be in for, for, you know, another decade plus. Clarence Thomas, 72. I imagine he's got another decade or so before potential retirement. But a lot of these justices are getting on in years, man. Ginsburg, obviously 87 and five rounds of, of, of uh, you know, five f- f- battles with cancer. Wow, man. 
Everybody knows that it's only a matter of time. Stephen Breyer is 81. I believe he's, he's passed the average life expectancy for uh, an American male. Samuel Alito is 70, but he's eyeing retirement. Sonia Sotomayor, she's 66, she'll be in. Elena Kagan, she'll be in. Neil Gorsuch and Kavanaugh are both in their 50s. They're going to be in for, for quite some time. So it looks like there's potentially three seats. That's why this election is more important than ever. And that's why it scares me when people just say they're going to believe whatever Biden says. You don't want to elect a liar and a deceiver who will just manipulate people for power, who will then appoint people who just want power. The same is true for Donald Trump. I'm not telling you that, that Joe Biden is, is better or worse. I'm not saying that. Personally, I think Joe Biden is way worse, but I'm not trying to tell you what you should think. I'm just saying, if Joe Biden's plan is to come out and embrace the far left, and then you're hoping he's going to turn around, you got another thing coming, man. That's not, that's not going to happen. Joe Biden knows who butters his bread. He knows who he's got to support if he wants to win, and he's going for it. And he's got to win a re-election. What do you think that means for his first four years? Yeah, he's going to tell you, bye bye fracking. I want to win again. I got other policy plans. I want to appoint more Supreme Court justices. So bye bye fracking, bye bye energy sector. You, if you're an environmentalist, you're probably thinking some, something similar to Trump. But this is the real battle, the Supreme Court. Now, Trump and the Republicans have just plastered the federal court system with judges. Not Supreme. Not, there's, there's more than just the Supreme Court. But this will be a major cultural battle. Whoever wins that presidency, man, if it's Biden, Supreme Court goes the other way. So I'll tell you this to the union guys. If Joe Biden's embracing this stuff now, what do you think's going to happen when he appoints three more lefty judges to the Supreme Court? Do you think your industry will survive? I'd imagine it wouldn't. To the environmentalists, they're probably cheering for it and they'll probably vote for Biden. So keep that all in mind. But I will wrap things up there. Stick around. The next segment is coming up at youtube.com slash Timcast News. That'll be at 6 p.m. Thanks for hanging out and I will see you all then. Right now, the two big trends on Twitter are Portland and Gestapo. Because last night we heard from a viral video that unmarked police vehicles with unidentified individuals in camo were snatching people off the streets. This is Trump's Gestapo. And now all over Twitter, they're saying federal officers deployed by Trump himself are snatching peaceful protesters who have done nothing wrong from the streets. Well, last night, Tear gas was fired by the feds. It's one of the big breaking stories on the AP. It's all over Twitter because these people have been violently rioting for now, I think, like 48 days. The acting secretary of the DHS offered help to Portland, who rejected it. And dare I say, Donald Trump is stepping in it bad, walking right into the trap that every single Trump supporter had been laid out for him. I am impressed with this failure in messaging and understanding what is really going on in Portland. And I am confused as to why these federal officers think marching around down, uh, marching around downtown Portland is going to do anything for them. It's going to make the riots worse. They're going to use it against the federal government. They're going to use it against Barr. They're going to use it against Trump. It's everything they asked for. They're jumping up and down, dancing and laughing that they're being arrested. They, it's, it's everything they could have hoped for. The, the, the Twitter trends, it is Trump's occupying army. So yes, they engage in these stupid acts of property destruction. They vandalize the Portland courthouse. And then who takes the blame for it? Trump. Frank Luntz, the famous pollster, was tweeting about how law and order is not going to work for Trump. I have to wonder why it is the feds keep trying to do this. It's like you, you realize you're losing, right? 
Like you, you, you can arrest these people all you want. You can snatch them up. You can do whatever. But in the end, you're losing. I have to wonder if it's intentional. You want, you want your, your uh, law enforcement to come out and make arrests and, and grab people and fire tear gas and all that stuff. For what reason? I can only assume Donald Trump's goal is to make it seem like he's the law and order candidate. But I don't think that's going to work here because Portland has weaponized the message against him, making it seem now that he is the threat, not Antifa. And it's working. And Bill Barr, the DHS, Acting Secretary Wolf and Trump are being they're being baited and it's working. I'm going to show you some tweets and then we'll read from uh, OPB and the uh, and the AP about what's going on. But then I'll talk about political polling and, and where we're currently at in sentiment. Antifa rioters steal the fencing from from the closed parks and download Portland to make their own barricades in the street. This is a tweet from Andy Ngo. He's referencing Jen uh, Dowling of Coin News, local news outlet. So they're trying to do, once again, their silly little uh, Chaz thing, I guess, in Portland. This, uh, Andy says, block long chains of fence were stolen by Antifa and used in their own barricades as they shut down the streets outside of the Portland Federal Courthouse. My question is, what happens if the marshals, if CBP, if ICE, if whatever, whatever, whatever agency these guys are, what happens if they do nothing? What happens if Antifa smashes out the windows and burns the building down? You got to pay for a new building, I guess. It's an affront to Trump's authority. Maybe Trump doesn't want to look weak. But I don't think Trump understands how public sentiment works in this regard. And I think that's where they've backed him into a corner. Trump wants to appear strong, law and order. So he goes out marching through Portland and then they say, help, help, I'm being repressed. And they use it to make Trump look bad with this viral story. And we talked about this the other day on the uh, IRL podcast, federal law enforcement use unmarked vehicles to grab protesters off the streets. I won't get into, I won't get into too much details, but I got to give you this context because this is the weaponization of the protest. It's everything the Democrats and the left were praying for. We're praying. A lot of people had asked, you know, because I tweeted this out a while ago. Donald Trump needs to do something about these ongoing protests. And a lot of people said, what's he going to do? It's, it's a state and local issue. If the riots are happening, Trump can't do anything. That's a fair point. Now, Trump announced he was going to do something. He was going to send out DHS to protect statues. And he was going to build a garden of heroes. I say, hey, there you go. I don't know. He's doing something, right? Now, he's got the federal officers in law enforcement deployed in Portland. And for 47 days, you know, Acting Secretary Wolf called this out. There's been violent riots. We knew that the moment Trump sent anybody out, they would scream dictator. So why is this happening? Now, the funny thing is, if you think about all this logically, people are, I'm seeing these high profile journalists saying like, oh, it's happening. Oh no, Donald Trump's Gestapo is here. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, what's the alternative? When there's a viral video of federal officers, you know, like walking, two guys walking in the street, they walk up to a protester, put his hands up, they take him, they bring him to the van. Apparently they drove him, according to the story, to the federal courthouse where they questioned him for like 90 minutes and then cut him loose without charges. What, is that, is that it? You got a guy dressed in all black wearing a helmet who just left a riot and that's all that happens. Why are they doing this? They're not stopping the riots. They're giving a PR victory to the far left. They're going to exacerbate the riots because people are going to see this. The video's now got like 5.5 million views. I am I am I am absolutely impressed at the ineptitude of these federal law enforcement officers. Listen. The alternative, I understand it makes sense. The alternative is what 
the feds run in the street and grab people, throw them down and make arrests while people bash them with hammers and fire tear gas and stuff. Sure, I guess. But why are the feds policing Portland streets anyway? They, they shouldn't. Now, I get it. It's, it's, it is a bit of a conundrum, right? It's a federal courthouse. Trump doesn't want to. I, I say Trump, but the federal government, DHS, you know, uh, DOJ, they don't want to cede this courthouse to local violent rioters and appear weak. Perhaps the double, it's a double-edged sword. No matter what they do, they will look bad. They could look like they're too weak and unable to stop the riots. And the left comes out and says, you know, the, Donald Trump is so weak, he can't even stop the, the violence at these courthouses. But I tell you this, man, I tell you this, I am 95% confident that if Antifa actually succeeded in burning down the courthouse or destroying it, then Trump could have said, you know, the, the, the mayor was refusing to help us. Local police had abandoned the area, leaving our officers in fear for their safety and lives. And then you talk about, as Frank Luntz says, public safety issues. If the local mayors and governors and, and, and senators will not stand up to the far left extremists, how will we stay safe if, if they can even burn down federal courthouses? Instead, what the feds have done is march around beating people. And, and not, not in their jurisdiction. Well, uh, arguably not in their jurisdiction, uh, the, you know, marching through the streets. I want to show you what Ted Wheeler said. I want to show you what the, the big breaking news is. They say federal officers use gas to clear protesters in Portland. Federal officers deployed tear gas and fired less lethal rounds into a crowd of protesters in Oregon hours after the head of the Department of Homeland Security visited Portland and called the demonstrations, the demonstrators, violent anarchists. Video showed many protesters leaving the area near the federal courthouse late Thursday as smoke filled the air. Protests have taken place for nearly two months in Portland since the police, you know, since the George Floyd incident. During a visit to Portland earlier Thursday, Homeland Security Acting Secretary Chad Wolf said state and city authorities are to blame for not putting an end to the protests, angering local officials. Mayor Ted Wheeler and other local officials have said they didn't ask for help from federal law enforcement and have asked them to leave. Stop right there. Leave. He said, Ted Wheeler said, stay inside or leave the city. Yeah, what's so hard about that? Man, I, I swear these people don't understand how PR works, how tact works. I guess they're, they're approaching it head on. And that's a very, very, I don't know, tactless way to, way to approach solving these problems. I often talk about this, right? It's, it's, it's uh, something I call the uh, a Chinese finger trap problem. You see protesters and rioters. So you, you take the obvious action. You know, your, your fingers are trapped in the, your, your fingers are in the, in the finger trap. So you pull because pulling your fingers out is the simple solution, but it doesn't work. The trap gets tighter. You have to do something counterintuitive. Perhaps what they needed to do here was back off. And then when Antifa started getting extremely violent, they could have put out a call asking for help from local authorities saying, violent riders are taking over your streets. We need your help. Help. They're attacking our building. And then Ted Wheeler would have been put in the spot saying, I can't control my own city. I can't protect my own people. And I certainly can't protect a courthouse. That would have been the message. Instead, the message now is Gestapo beats random people. Do you think the average American is paying attention to any of this? Do you think they have any idea when they see this video of two dudes wearing full camo, walking out of a, you know, grabbing a guy off the street? They have no idea what this is. And, and, and I'll tell you this right now. Regular people are sympathetic to riots and protests that seek to end uh, police injustice and racism. That is a fact you have to consider. Now, of course, rioting scares a lot of people when it targets them. 
But when they see and hear protests, they're not watching the videos. And what has the media been saying? Non-stop peaceful protests. The peaceful protesters are being violently repressed by Donald Trump's Gestapo. That's where we're at. Trump walked right into this one. The polling, I think, will start to reflect it because regular people don't read the news like you or I perhaps do every day. Now, I certainly read news nonstop, but I also used to work in nonprofit fundraising. And part of that was events and marketing. And so we knew exactly how you would talk to people to convince them why supporting a certain cause made sense. I ultimately left that industry because I felt it was too deceptive. And not only that, but most of these nonprofits, they just line their pockets with gold. They don't actually do anything. But they were actively engaging in lying. And I was like, no, no, you don't need to lie to somebody to convince them to like, I don't know, fight for the environment or something. But they were adamant that the average person would have to do so in order to succeed. So I was like, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Now what I see here is a failure in messaging. It's a failure to understand how you actually stop violent riots. What we have is day 48 of federal law enforcement pulling as hard as they can to get out of that finger trap. And for some reason, they're stuck. You'd think after a few days, they'd have learned this isn't working and maybe should try something else. Nope. Same old, same old story. Escalate tactics, pull harder, they say. And now it's just getting worse. And the local governors, the, the, the Democrats are doing exactly what everyone said. Trump's occupying army. Let me show you what Ted Wheeler said. I think I have it right here. He says, today, the acting secretary of Homeland Security asked to speak with me about demonstration activity in Portland. Demonstration. You see what they're doing. Stop falling for this stuff. He expressed his concern about ongoing violence and asked how his agency can help. I told the acting secretary that my biggest immediate concern is the violence federal officers brought to our streets in recent days and the life threatening tactics his agents use. We do not need or want their help. If a city says we don't want your help, then back off and say, "Okay." if these cities want to abolish and defund their police, my answer is do it with my blessing. Because if regular people don't want to stand up and focus on this, well, then I'm not going to, I'm not going to, what do you want me to do? You won't stand up for yourself. You expect everyone else to do it. I'm sorry. If you know what's going on and you won't speak up, well, then too bad. But most people don't know what's going on. So if the, if the Portland mayor and the senators in Oregon and the governor are saying Trump is doing wrong, perhaps you just say, okay, we'll let Antifa do their thing. And then when the building gets burned down, you say, that's your fault. And then what's Mayor Ted Wheeler going to say? He goes on to say the best thing they can do is stay inside their building or leave Portland altogether. Our goal is to end these violent demonstrations quickly and safely. And in the meantime, I asked him to clean up the graffiti on local federal facilities. I love that. We don't want your help. Stay inside, but clean up the graffiti from the people we refuse to stop. Maybe if Portland sent out their law enforcement, you'd stop these people before the graffiti got that bad. But no matter what, you know, they're going to try and blame the feds for this one. They're going to try and blame Trump and Bill Barr. He says, while, while we're busy cleaning our streets and buildings, the two federal buildings are covered with graffiti that has been there for weeks on end. Our plan is this, protect our community, clean up our city and reopen. Well, Trump's failing on the messaging here. It's everything they could have hoped for. Frank Lunt says Trump's law and order campaign will get him defeated. Nobody wants violence in the streets, but people are sympathetic to racial and economic injustice. A better strategy is to hit cancel culture which everyone opposes. Voters want the rights to challenge and they deserve that right. He says cancel culture is exploding. 
and it's destroying people from contrarian journalists to critical White House officials. It stands in the way of solving legitimate problems. You can't have open, candid dialogue when people's livelihoods are being targeted and eliminated. Cancel culture isn't just killing debate. It's preemptively chilling debate from happening at all. It's political correctness run amok. Our ability to learn, evolve, and improve is under attack. I never thought I'd see this in America. Let me show you what is much more effective in terms of messaging from campus reform. Professors demand university police chief resign after seeing Blue Lives Matter flag in his home. In his private home, a police officer had a flag that symbolizes support for police. He took it down. He took down. I tell you, this is crazy stuff. You know what people don't like to hear? They don't like to hear that they are going to be directly threatened that their jobs will be destroyed. They can't speak out. They can't even support their local cops and they have to lie about it. Now, maybe none of this matters. Maybe the violence in the streets still scare people. And maybe it's true that people will see the federal officers and say, good, Trump is doing something. I think that's what Trump is banking on. You know, not necessarily Trump. I'm not going to pretend like he's doing everything like he controls and he micromanages everything. But I think DHS, as well as his administration are thinking, the American people want law and order. We'll go out and we'll give them law and order. I don't necessarily agree. I think, I think they do want law and order, but not like how we're seeing. Right here, we have a police officer flying a flag. Everybody wants to be able to fly their flag, you know, be it a sports flag or a pride flag or an American flag. What if they were told we will take your job away unless you take it down? That is what scares people, a direct threat to their existence. Donald Trump now has a bunch of videos to, to contend with. And, and, and I'll put it this way. Trump needs to convince the middle. The left is convinced for the longest time they needed to convince the far left. Well, I think they started learning. They, they have been, the Democrats and the left have been so off base in messaging for the longest time. And now they seem to have gotten a, a strong opening at the, at the 11th hour against Trump. Maybe they were waiting. Maybe they were waiting for the last minute. And maybe Donald Trump is waiting to the last minute. To be fair, Many people have said that Trump is waiting until after the DNC before he launches his full salvo against the Democrats. And so they're not super concerned just yet. Perhaps that's true. And perhaps there is no real messaging goal or strategy with federal, federal officers marching through Portland. But I have to ask, why do it? Just go inside the building and they'll go crazy. And then the message DHS could put out is federal officers will no longer engage and they should do it now. They should do it right now. It's not too late. They can put a message right now saying after the, the you know, the, the, the violent riots, the violent, you know, anarchists, whatever they want to call them, last night causing all this damage, the federal, federal law enforcement will no longer be on the streets. They only, they only you know, and, then, and then what? What's Antifa going to do? There's already video of an Antifa guy, you know, pulling his hammer back and waiting for the feds to come out. Why would the feds even come out? Just build a big old barricade around the building and then go inside and, you know, play backgammon or something or whatever it is you guys play. I don't know. Watch, watch movies and just let them do their thing. I don't think they'll burn the building down. I don't think anything will really happen. I think you are stuck in a Chinese finger trap problem and that if you keep trying to pull, it will only get worse. So, so, so let me clarify too, to be fair. Like I just said, I don't, I don't know if this is necessarily anything to do with Trump's messaging, like as if Donald Trump himself has a Portland strategy, probably doesn't. But it is working against him. And it's possible, you know, Trump's sitting in the Oval Office and he's looking at like, you know, nuclear option one, nuclear option two, as it pertains to, say, China or some other countries. And he has no idea what's going on in Portland. 
But meanwhile, on the TV, they're saying all these things. So this is the job of his campaign manager and his campaign staff to realize the messaging that is being used against him. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't go to Portland. Ted Wheeler, to be completely fair about what's going on, the outside of the perception from regular people, let's be real. Portland and Seattle have become cesspools of chaos and violence. There's been tens of millions of dollars in damage in these cities. Chaz only stopped when they targeted the mayor. Now that the, the, the violent rioters are targeting the courthouse and ignoring the mayor, he lets them do whatever they want. So why would anyone in their right mind want to live in these cities? I mean, any city at this point, I'm certainly getting out. And I mentioned this before, property uh, uh, real estate sales in New York have gone up something like 300 and some odd percent over the past 30 days. As that's, that, that's how it appears. I mean, my math might, might not be perfect. And we see similar things in Seattle and Portland as well. So it's almost like, you know, the, 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 the local politicians are literally setting themselves on fire in a desperate attempt to do anything to stop Donald Trump. Maybe, or maybe Ted Wheeler and Jenny Durkin are just completely ineffective, pathetic politicians who don't know how to deal with violent rioters. The biggest problem, in my opinion, for Portland is that even if these people get arrested, probably one of the reasons why Portland stopped trying is that the grand juries won't indict. And when they actually caught someone accused of arson, the grand jury said no. 59 people who were arrested on rioting charges got released. Nine of them were felonies. So the Portland police probably gave up. Now the feds are marching around and it's going to make Trump look bad. It's going to be weaponized against him, as I've said for the 50 billionth time. Stories like this about, you know, a cop. Here, I got the Breitbart one. West Virginia U police chief faces calls for firing over pro-police flag at home. West Virginia? Look at this. The police chief at West Virginia University was forced to apologize after students noticed a thin blue line American flag honoring police on display in his home during a Zoom video conference. The chief apologized to the community after acknowledging the hurt his flag caused. Wow. What, 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 where, where could you even move to at this point to get away from these lunatics? And, and I'm not just talking about the, the, the protesters. This guy, too. You know, my response would have been if someone said, you have a flag, I'd be like, and? Well, the flag is offensive, and? We'll take it down. No. <laughs> it's that simple. Why would this cop do this? Because all across the country, people are, uh, we're learning an important lesson about humans. The, I think most people will do anything in their power to drop to their knees and bow to anybody who demands it. So you get some angry college kids and this police chief is like, I'm sorry, am I, am, am I bowing low enough? Should I, should I lick the ground in front of your toes? Should I lick your feet for you? That's apparently what you get from even your police chiefs in West Virginia. Not every single cop, not every single police chief, but enough of enough people do this to where I'm not confident that the fabric of this country is strong enough to sustain the pressure being pulled upon it. If so many people are willing, are unwilling to speak up, well, then what do you think is going to happen? You know, I've brought it up 50 billion times, but the people who say, but I have kids. Yeah, okay, great. Then I look forward to the future you leave for your children. Because apparently people don't understand that a society grows great when people plant trees whose shade they know they will never sit in. What does that mean? It means you plant a tree today and you won't get to bask in its, in its glorious shade. You won't get to sit, sit beneath it. But in 50 years, your grandchildren will. And they will have this beautiful thing for them, like the bridges of New York City, all the things that are laid out. But, to, but today, one of the biggest disadvantages we have is that everybody lives for the now, every single person. As Bill Barr said yesterday, the, we, we think in terms of quarterly gains, 
But China, they think centuries, decades. So what happens? This cop, he doesn't care about what these actions will do. Regular people refuse to stand up and you don't think about what happens tomorrow. And, and that's, that's why I think we're in a downward spiral, man. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm a kind of pessimistic. But it's no guarantee. It, it is no guarantee. Like I said, perhaps people will see Portland and think Donald Trump is the only thing standing in the way of Antifa and the far left. Maybe that's what he's going for. And maybe that's the message he will actually embrace. If, if, if after, say, the DNC or at some point Trump fires up this message that Portland police abandoned the city to the far left and the only thing stopping these violent rioters was Trump's DHS, maybe that messaging would work. We'll see. We'll see. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I will see you all then. Of course, it was only a matter of time before somebody came and desecrated a statue of Jesus Christ. And now we have the story. Jesus' statue found beheaded outside Catholic Church in Miami. Diocese expects hate crime investigation. We don't know who did it. We don't know why they did it, but we can make some assumptions. To begin our investigation, I think it's fair to look at what's been going on in this country. Statues are being torn down. We have seen certain uh, uh, religious symbols, notably the Virgin Mary, be desecrated and burned. And we have seen high profile Black Lives Matter activists calling for the destruction and desecration of statues and notably statues of Jesus. I bring you now to, as most of you know, just to make sure I have the context in this video for anyone who doesn't know this, Sean King, very high profile. I believe he has over a million followers said, yes, I think statues of the white European they claim is Jesus should also come down. They are a form of white supremacy, always have been. In the Bible, when the family of Jesus wanted to hide and blend in, guess where they went? Egypt, not Denmark. Tear them down. He didn't say, have a polite conversation. He didn't say, rethink the image of Jesus. He said, literally tear them down. Well, here's the latest story. Can I tell you definitively that the far left came and beheaded a statue of Jesus? No, of course not. But I think it's fair for now to make the assumption because we know who is tearing down statues and not just statues of Confederates like the media would have you believe, but statues of Union soldiers. Hey, that's that. That's the latest we got here. How, how about the Daily Gazette? Saratoga Civil War statue demolished by vandals. 145 year old monument honored local Union troops broken beyond repair. How disgusting and despicable. That leads me to the bigger point of this segment. What am I really talking about? I don't believe anything anymore. I don't believe the polls. I don't believe the press. I don't believe the Democrats are on track to win. I just don't believe it. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. I don't necessarily believe Trump and the Republicans are on track to win. I just don't care. I'm so over it. You would have to convince me that a nation that is between 65 and 70% Christian, people are watching the far left destroy images of the Virgin Mary, Union soldiers, U.S. presidents, and Jesus Christ himself. And they're going, I'm going to vote for the party that's making an alliance with these people. I don't believe it. Unless, of course, the media really has convinced people. And that's a shame. Maybe, maybe most people have no idea what's really going on. But I look at this and that's maybe the only conclusion I can draw. If people really aren't paying attention as to why these images, these statues, why this why they're being destroyed, why the violence is escalating around the country, why we are on day 48 of the Portland riots. Maybe they just don't know. And PR really is the most important thing. I mean, you can't sell someone a product if they never heard of the product, right? Well, you can't convince someone to vote in their best interest if they have no idea what's really happening in this country, which is why it's scary 
that censorship is prominent and real. And then the media runs cover for these big tech companies as they censor people. But I'll tell you what, man, I'm kind of just I'm kind of over it. I am. I'm going to go vote in November. A lot of people are going to go vote number November. And we're going to see how things play out. Of course, there's still going to be a few more months of, you know, tit for tat back and forth political, you know, uh, campaign ads. Biden did this. Trump did that. And we'll see who wins out. But at this point, I, I just I just can't believe that they're coming out and saying things like, look at this. Well, I, I, this is the wrong story. It's this one. U.S. party preferences have swung sharply toward Democrats, according to Gallup, that in the past month, it's now a gap of 11 points. Really? Man, these people, the media must have done a really good job. But I, you look at Tucker Carlson and Hannity, who have viewerships, uh, viewership breaking cable TV history, and it's hard to believe. But then you guys also got to consider that when it comes to cable TV, which is where liberals mostly get their news, it's almost, you know, look, it's, it's tens of millions more than Fox News gets, even though CNN's ratings are in the gutter and MSNBC is in the gutter and ABC, NBC, CBS, they don't do that well combined. It's a lot more. But then I throw it to Facebook, man. On Facebook, who's dominating? Ben Shapiro, The Daily Wire and conservative outlets like Fox News. There is a prominent left wing push on, on these on, on these social media platforms, notably, you know, Facebook. But it really is dominated by conservatives. Considering that, I just cannot truly believe, you know, look, in 2016, I really thought Trump was would would win if the machine wasn't rigged. You know, I, I, I just felt like there's they're not going to let him win the, mach- the the media machine, the system that's in place. They'll never let him win. I did not believe in this you know election system. And then Trump won. And I was like, wow, I guess the elections are real. You know, I guess like there really is a chance for outsider candidates to win. I don't mean like they're stuffing ballots or anything. I I mean, like the media machine was doing everything in the power to stop Trump. And I thought it was going to work. Today, we're seeing the exact same thing. After I heard this story the other day that a statue of Jesus Christ had been beheaded. There's no I can't believe it. I'm sorry, man. This country is right now. The other story I've got pulled up. Christianity is in decline, but still 65 percent of this nation identifies as Christian. Could it be that people just don't know that these far leftists are going around destroying things and that Joe Biden has just announced a unity platform with Bernie Sanders? And I think it's funny when these when these leftists on YouTube or whatever are like, if only Joe Biden really was far left. And they try and post you know, an image of me where I made a joke that Joe Biden was going to play a pull a Bernie. He was going to uh, basically come out wearing a Bernie Sanders mask or something like the joke was that he actually was far left. The point I'm making is Joe Biden in his efforts to try and win and beat Trump is calling for a coalition with far leftists who very often endorse support or at the very least ignore these kinds of things. So the question I had then upon seeing this story about a statue of Jesus being desecrated is maybe people in this country identify as Christian, but maybe they're not really Christians. How many of them are actually religious? I know a lot of people who say they're Christian, but then don't actually go to church, don't follow anything, don't know anything, and probably don't care. And that's the bigger question, I guess. Are we still really a nation of that's majority Christian? Or has it become a nation of majority people who just say they are? Or could it be that the media has done a really good job of making sure people don't know? I don't know. But let me show you these stories. Let me, let me tell you what's going on with this Jesus statue. The Daily Caller says, a statue of Jesus Christ was vandalized Wednesday outside a Catholic church in Miami. And incident church leaders say they expect to be investigated as a hate crime. 
Less than a week after another incident targeting Catholics in Florida, the statue of Jesus was found beheaded and knocked off its pedestal outside of Good Shepherd Catholic Church. Father Edvaldo da Silva told WSVN that it's obvious the statue didn't topple over on its own and required significant force by hand. Seeing what is happening in our country, I presume so, but we don't have 100% assurance. Da Silva, who has been the parochial vicar of the church for three years, also recalled an incident in Ocala, Florida on Saturday when Stephen Anthony Shields was alleged to have driven his vehicle into a Catholic church and then lit the foyer area on fire while parishioners were inside preparing for mass. Shields was charged with attempted second degree murder, among other charges. This was a presumably far leftist. We don't know. But we did have that guy on the American, uh, the Alaskan Airlines flight who stood up and threatened to kill everyone on the plane unless they accepted that Jesus Christ was a black man. Not an exaggeration. That's literally the story. They had emergency land. And the dude, I guess, uh, I don't know if he's being arrested or treated for, you know, psych evaluation, whatever happened. But I think we can see what's causing this trend in all of these instances. It is an escalation of the far left. Is Joe Biden himself far left? No. Is he further left than where the Democrats used to be? Definitely. You can argue that relative to American politics, he's moved pretty far left. But relative to the current state of things, he's not on the far left. So figure it out. I don't know. Call him what you want to call him. But Joe Biden, in his desperate attempt to appease the far left, has called for a whole bunch of far left policies that fly in the face of what he was doing only a few years ago in the Obama administration. They called Obama the deporter in chief. Now Joe Biden is saying things like moratorium on, uh, on deportations. Joe Biden's announcing this big green plan. Maybe we'll talk about it later. But he's definitely embracing far left policies relative to the rest of America. He's doing it because he wants people like this, these far leftists, he wants their vote. First of all, I don't think these people are necessarily going to vote for um, vote for anybody in the in the first place. Young people and the far left likely don't vote, don't care to engage. So I don't know who he thinks he's courting. But given everything we've heard from Joe Biden, everything we've seen in the streets and the 48th day of riots in Portland, you expect me to believe that the polls are continuing to swing in favor of the Democrats. It just it just flies in the face of what's happening on our streets. But hey, maybe it's all about media messaging. The media will pull the wool over your eyes. Donald Trump said, you know, they're destroying statues of our heroes. Why? You know, Hans Christian Hag, Ulysses S. Grant, Jefferson, Washington. What did the media say? Trump calls Confederate soldiers heroes. And maybe that's enough. We talked a bit about it on the IRL podcast the other day that, you know, Kaylee McEnany came out and said, that the science is on our side for reopening schools. She unfortunately was imprecise in her language. She said, talking to the president, you know, he wants a school reopened, saying the science should not stand in the way of this. We're going to reopen. You know, you got to take a look at these studies. The science backs our claim. What she meant was that when the science comes out, it likely will not oppose our view of what is correct, saying that basically the science will find we were right about this, and it already has. Instead, they take that one clip out of context, and now every single outlet is running the story that she said science should not stand in the way to imply that even though the science says it's dangerous, they don't care, which is not the case. So what happens then? You'll see these stories. Check this one out. This is from the New York Post. Man accused of punching NYPD chief. Cops on Brooklyn Bridge released without bail. 
you see this story and these people are, are uh, you know, I got to be careful about what we can play here on YouTube. They'll, you've, you've got cops being injured in these brawls. This stuff is happening. It's been going on for almost two months now. We are seriously approaching nearly two months of ongoing riots around this country. Not as severe as the first week, but definitely in many parts in New York, in, in D.C., in Seattle, in Portland especially. But we had a national emergency in Atlanta. We had a national emergency in Utah. Around the country, the riots are still going on. People don't know because the media, the media has just, they're playing politics. They're playing politics harder than they've ever played politics. You know, I think, I think we're, in, we're, we're in serious trouble. I really, really do. And the reason I think so, the media doesn't need to report the news anymore because, well, they do, they do. But because of the rapid spread of information, you know, when it came to a story like, uh, let's, you know, Statue of Jesus desecrated, everybody knows, you know, you can put out a tweet, the tweet goes viral. So what happened is these systems created an incentive for these, these platforms to just, sh- you know, for people to share shot content. And that's all the media cares about now. But I think one thing that was, uh, people realized is the importance of media and political power. And that's been true for a long time. And over time, these political operatives have infiltrated and taken over the media. They've formed a weirdo clique. Man, the other day, I saw a post from the New York Times. The New York Times, once again, literally just writing about one of their own reporters. And I'm thinking like, what is this? What's, this is the, you know what, man? The media, it's more than dead. You know, I thought the media died a long time ago when they started playing these political games. But now to see how all these news outlets just write about their own newsrooms and write about each other, They've become gossip blogs. So maybe that's the real problem. There's no news. There's no one telling you all this is happening. And of course, I got to tell you, man, even on social media, it's not necessarily possible. Most of the people who are going to watch my videos, we're going to see one of two things. You recommended the video because you probably already agree with it. You probably already watch my content. I know, you know, I I often ask people to share the video and subscribe. And YouTube's recommendation algorithm can introduce new people to my content. But it's a slow roll for what is relatively small in the grand scheme of things. But then you're you're going to see two things. If I'm talking about issues in which most of you already agree, you may hear a point. You know, I I might say something like, hey, have you considered this? And you go, I didn't I didn't consider that. But you already mostly agree. We are all being siloed into echo chambers across the board. And it's being it's becoming harder and harder to actually break through and convince someone of what's really happening around them. Case in point. The left doesn't even know, you know, what's going on with these riots. They don't even know that Jefferson Washington was torn down. There was, a, there was this funny tweet from uh, this one anti- ne- never Trumper guy. And he said something like, is Donald Trump, like, who does he think our heroes are, Confederates? And then someone responded with, you realize Jefferson and Washington got torn down too. And he said something like, oh, if you're talking about that, you know, one or two statues here and there, like, you know, I don't think that's a big deal. It's just a small group of people. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. What do you think any of these statues being torn down was? Do you think someone went to the Washington Monument and like threw a giant steel cable and pulled it down with a tractor? No, every instance of a statue being torn down was one small statue with a fringe group of weirdos in a small town or in a city center destroying it. it w- so, so yes, Jefferson and Washington being torn down is on par exactly the same as Christopher Columbus and his other jurisdictions or the Confederate statues as well. Don't act like it's a different thing. That's, that's the case. Yet these people literally have no idea it's happening all around them. 
How, how much do you want to bet? People have no idea that Frederick Douglass in, I believe it was in Rochester, was, was, was desecrated. This dude was an escaped slave, a, a brilliant man who challenged the United States to uphold its, its, its values of freedom and liberty. And even his statue got torn down. These are the kind of things that I think, you know, when I look at the data, people are actually, they actually care about. But if you don't get the news, then how can you care about it? I think, you know, based on the things I've said on Facebook, I've, I've talked to a lot of people, see what they post. They really have no idea. They share memes for their information and they get lied to left and right by the press, but they trust the press. How do you convince someone that these news outlets are lying to you? I don't know. The other day, like I mentioned with Kaylee McEnany was one of the best examples that every single outlet lied about what she said. And if you listen to what she was actually saying, it was the opposite. And they do it all the time. I wonder if, you know, many of these people just do it because they want to personally enrich themselves. These are, these are, these are, these are tough times. Let me, let me show you what's going on with the, with the Democratic Party swing as, as it pertains to what I'm talking about. Gallup says, since January, Americans' party preferences have shifted dramatically in the Democratic Party's direction. What had been a two percentage point Republican advantage in U.S. party identification and, uh, and leaning has become an 11 point Democratic advantage with more of that movement reflecting a loss in Republican identification and leaning down eight points, uh, then again in Democratic identification and leading up five points. You can see it. Look, here's the point I want to make with this. I've had the conversation several times. We saw a segment on Fox News. On Fox News, I believe it was on Fox, they said that when the pollsters call them, they lie. I hear this all the time from Trump supporters and conservatives, that they won't be honest with the pollsters when they do get called, and it's rare they get called anyway. One thing you need to know is that pollsters only call a couple thousand people and there's hundreds of millions in this country. Some people, uh, one of the conversations we've had that I've had with, with friends and like the IRL podcast is that if, if journalists really are lying about people, doxing people and are partisan left, why would anyone admit to any of these people? You don't want to get canceled, do you? This is one of the theories to suggest the media is completely wrong about everything, the same as they were in 2016. But I have, I have, I have an idea to add on to this. First, let me give you the context. Let's say you know the media is lying about everything. And then you get a call from the Washington Post and they say, hi, I'm a reporter with the Washington Post. We're conducting a poll. and We want to know who are you voting for? Would the average person, if they think the media is going to lie and defame or try and cancel them, would they admit it? No, they're going to be like, uh, Joe Biden, Joe Biden for sure hoping that they're not going to reveal too much. But maybe not. Maybe that's wishful thinking. Maybe many people are just saying, here's the truth. We don't know for sure. There's something else, though. When I keep hearing the rhetoric from the right that they lie to the pollsters, I hope you all realize that it is a scientific fact, okay? At least as far as I know, because I've read several studies about this, that many people just vote for whoever they think is going to win. So when you see this, when you see American, Americans party affiliation, when you see all the polls, there are a lot of people who don't know, don't care, just want to fit in. So they'll say orange man bad if they're told to, if the media says the orange man is bad. If they see all these polls now skewing in favor of Democrats, potentially because conservatives are lying about who they want to vote for, then there's going to be a lot of, you know, I don't know, just non-initiated people who are like, I'll just vote Democrat then. That seems to be what everybody's doing. I can't tell you. I really, really don't know for sure. We, we may see an upset like we did in the UK. Maybe not. 
But the main the main point here is I, you know, when 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 word first dropped that Sean King had said to tear down statues of Jesus, that actually scared me because I kind of felt like, look, whether or not people in this country are devout and, you know, are, you know, going to church every Sunday or whatever, this country is overwhelmingly Christian. And this is this is people's faith. I kind of felt like, man, if they start tearing these statues down, it's going to get violent. It's going to get bad because you, you want to talk politics. Fine. People can argue politics, but you talk faith. This is the core of people's being. This is their this is what this is their etern- eternity. It's everything to them. I, I was I was worried that if these things started happening and I felt like they would, that's when that's that's when it's going to get nuts. So after seeing this story, I'm now supposed to believe all these polls. It's too hard for me, man. I can't do it. Sometimes they 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 play something in your face that may be true, but it just seems so ridiculously counterintuitive. You just can't. I'm sorry, I can't. Come November, I cannot believe that Americans would would stand around being like, I I I'm actually okay with Joe Biden, you know, pandering to these people. I don't know. One theory is that Joe Biden wins because the the, the media, you know, made it work, and then things get so bad under the Democratic leadership as they try and cater to the far left for whom they've empowered, it gets so bad that the country swings further right than you could possibly imagine. I can't tell you. What I can tell you is I'm done listening to the media. You know, I'm done listening to anybody about what they think is going to happen. The people saying, here's why Trump's really going to win. Here's why the Democrats are really going to win. And I'm just going to say, you know what, man, in November, go do your thing. You must ignore all of it. Go do your thing. Go to the, go to the polling place, submit your vote. It's the best you can do. Or I guess mail in your vote. But I got to admit, I'm not even confident that we're going to have that. It's it's sounding more and more like we're in for a wild ride come November. You know why? Because mail in voting combined with COVID, economic issues, accusations of cheating, and nobody's going to let the other side take this one. I don't think so. They're going to, it's going to be nuts. Hope you're ready. I'll see you on the next segment coming up at uh, timcast.net at 4 p.m. I'll see you there. As most of you know, for the past 48 days, riots have been ongoing in Portland, and we have seen endless videos from the likes of Andy No, who's been documenting this, showing just how crazy many of these rioters are. Recently, video emerged of some DHS camo police coming out of a van, grabbing a guy off the street. Arrest? Well, I don't believe he was arrested. It was a detainment of some sort, potentially arresting him, but detaining him, putting him in a van. And because of this, they are now screaming that Trump's Gestapo is taking over Portland. And I got a thread for you that will melt your brain how insane it is. But there is no better person that I have seen who can tell you what's going on with these weird far leftists than this officer, Jakari Jackson, just absolutely nails it. First and foremost, he's a police officer. Seems like a very smart guy. I believe he even says he's a PSU graduate, the history degree, talks about how these these, you know, white lefty Antifa types are using the same tactics that white supremacists used against his people in the past. He lays it all out. He talks about the problem. Of these people not even understanding what they're fighting for and how they're actually harming the conversations he has. This to me is the best example of what's really going on with these people. These people, as far as I'm concerned, are white supremacists with guilty consciences, but they still believe they're smarter and better and would tell other people what to do. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to show you a bit of this, this segment, but I really do recommend you go and watch this video from Jakari Jackson, the full thing, this, the stories of the Daily Caller. But I also want to talk about kind of how the left 
weaponizes, they, 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 man, I got to tell you, like I said, they're white supremacists with guilty consciences because we had another story. Check this out. James Harden blasted on social media for wearing thin blue line mask there there. You are not allowed to deviate from what they demand you believe. And that to me is the most offensive thing ever. You know why? Because I hate racists. I absolutely despise racism. You know what I see when I see James Harden? I see a human being. That's it. He's a guy. Do, 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 am I talking about colorblindness? No, I'm saying that I don't know much about him. I got to talk to the guy first. And you know what? He might have opinions that I, I can't make assumptions about. And that's why what Jakari Jackson says is so important. Let me read you this stuff. From the Daily Caller, police officer Jakari Jackson says so many Portland protesters are white, racist against black people. Yes, I have seen it. I, just, I detest this. I have heard these people yell racial slurs. Man, props to this guy for speaking up. Portland police officer Jakari Jackson detailed racism. He says he's experienced at Black Lives Matter protests in a video that recently went viral. Quote, it says something when you're at a Black Lives Matter protest, you have more minorities on the police side than you have in a violent crowd. And you have white people screaming at black officers. You have the biggest nose I've ever seen. He said, these people, I've heard it, man. He is not lying. This is why I can't stand the ACAB people either, because they are lying. These people in the crowds, they're lying. I tell you, I told the story before, man, when I was in Portland and there was a right wing group, left wing group. And guess what? The white Antifa people across the street with the police blocking the road so nobody would cross were screaming racial slurs. And there was one on the right wing side who was black who got really mad, really mad. And he, was, he broke away from the group and he was about to cross over. And these other dudes grabbed him and told him to stop. Don't, don't engage with those racists. Don't let them trigger you like this. Don't let them get the best of you. It was crazy to see. The, the, a white man and a black man on the right wing side. And the white guy was like, you're my brother. I'm here with you, man. We're in this together. Don't, don't let them get to you. I tell you, I, I tell you, it is infuriating to hear these people get away with this. The media won't call them out. Why won't they, they, they record this stuff? Why don't they play this stuff? I have heard it over and over again. Jackson added that he believes some of the protesters were genuine about advancing change in the wake of George, George Floyd's death. And he's right. They are. Dude, this guy, this, this officer, he should have a big channel. He should, this, this, what, what he says, he's intelligent. He nails it. He talks about what they're doing, what they're saying. Smart dude. He says, quote, I got to see those people get faded out by people that have no idea what racism is all about. Never experienced racism. They don't even know that the tactics they are using were the same tactics that were used against my people. Protests have been going on for some time. He says the Department of Homeland Security recently sent federal agents to Portland in an attempt to quell the violence, which was met with a strong rebuke from Democratic Mayor Ted Wheeler. Quote, I told the acting secretary that my biggest immediate concern is the violence federal officers brought to our streets in recent days and the life threatening tactics his agents use. Wheeler tweeted Wednesday, we do not need or want their help. Well, that's a whole other issue, man. But let me tell you, dude, this guy's a cop. He experiences it firsthand and he's telling you. My biggest question to these far lefties, to the Black Lives Matter people, to the white progressives, is that if you really do believe that Black Lives Matter, don't you, can't you listen to what he has to say? I think the answer is you absolutely have to. Of course you do. If we're really going to combat racism, then we're going to have a real conversation with everybody. And that includes the cops, man. Police are people. They live in our society. They go to the store. They buy groceries. They order pizza. And they protect you while you sleep. Uh, flight club, fight club reference. But my thing is, you can't just say that the only voices that matter are the voices of your ideology. Nah, man, this guy gets to speak. 
And, and he deserves that, you know, uh, our attention, that we listen to what he has to say. And that's true for Black Lives Matter protesters 100%. Not these violent far left antifa types who are co-opting the message and taking over. The real, you know, the people who actually want to speak up and call out police brutality. But you know what it also means? It means the cops too. How insane is, how many videos have we seen? There's a, fa- there's a really funny video going around where it's a black cop arresting a white guy. The white guy's wearing Black Lives Matter and he's being arrested by a black cop. Because the reality is, I think what we've learned from all this, at least what I've learned, is that race really doesn't matter. It, of course it matters in some ways, right? Racism is a real thing. But when you can see this cop calling these people out, he's going to tell you what racism is really about. You see these far left activists claiming they're the ones fighting it. They're not. The issue is the ideology, not the color of the person's skin. How that's a message that people can actually start to understand, especially with this next story. James Harden gets blasted on social media for wearing thin blue line mask. You know, my immediate reaction to the story was when I saw this guy wearing the thin blue line mask, nothing, literally nothing. I don't know anything about this dude. Apparently he's a pro basketball player. He's probably very athletic, very talented. That's the only, the only assumption I could make about him. These people want to, they want to assume so much about you and they don't know you. They don't know what you think. They don't know who you voted for. They don't know how hard you work. They don't know where you come from and they don't know what you do to help. But they will make every assumption in the book about you based on the mask you wear, based on uh, the color of your skin. I can't stand these people. Now, look, we all make assumptions. That I get. But you know what I try to do? I try to find out about the content, content of a person's character. Man, this, 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 this dude, James Harden, is probably smarter and more talented than 99% of all of these far left crazies that are attacking him on the, on the Internet. This dude probably, I'd imagine, at, at his level of skill playing in the NBA, He's probably a successful businessman. He's probably working with a, a t- business manager and agencies, and he probably knows more about how the world works than any one of these, these whiny activists on the internet. And this is another thing that makes me laugh about the absurdity of these, of these so-called you know, white progressive far leftists is that they, you know, of all of the people who lack an education, they claim to be the ones who are educated. No, 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 no. This dude knows more about the real world than you do. And so does that Portland cop. These people, in my opinion, are just racists. Houston Rockets guard James Harden is facing significant backlash on the internet after a picture of him wearing a thin blue line mask was tweeted from the Rockets account. The thin blue line mask is worn primarily by those seeking to express support for law law enforcement. And maybe he did want to express that. I don't know. He's wearing the mask. That's all I can say. But you know, it doesn't say anything about his character. It doesn't say he's good, bad, evil, smart, stupid. No, it's just a mask. People want to make so many assumptions. I, I just don't like it. Twitter did not like Tong, t- Twitter did not take long to react. Trey Song says, "This certified clown s. I'll say it for everybody who's scared. Uh, scared to foh. It's the Houston Rockets account saying mask up." Rev Shannon says, "Tomorrow on Undisputed, Skip and I will talk about how James Harden is a sellout for wearing a mask. James, you were a brother. Uh, you know what, man? NBA Central says." NBA Twitter is going crazy after James Harden was spotted wearing a thin blue line mask. Yeah, he was more than one in more than one picture. Cernovich said it's going to be great when fans force James Harden and the Rockets to apologize because they didn't realize this is a Blue Lives Matter bandana. But to disavow this mask will be proof that they hate police. I don't I, I I'm going to go ahead and assume he knows what it is. I don't want him to apologize. You know, what I would love to hear from him. Hey, man, we're all entitled to entitled to our opinions. That's what I'd love to hear from him. But you know what? He's going to do what he thinks he's got to do for better or for worse. And I, I hate to see I hate to see people back down. But what I can't stand more, you know, is is like, listen, this is what you get. 
This is just, I'm not going to read this Twitter thread. It's about Portland. All right. But to throw it back to this officer, you have here a white progressive telling everyone else exactly how things are. And they do not want to listen to this officer. Why? Because they say a cab. All cops are bad. It's actually a, a, more of a swear I can't say on YouTube. This guy's not. This guy seems all right. Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. But I heard what he had to say. And I've seen it. I, I, don't, I don't know what it's like to experience it the same way he does. I, I come from a, a particular uh, community. He comes from a different community, but we're all Americans. But I've seen it. I've stood there and I've watched these far leftists say these things to him. But they're not. But this cop, they block you. They say, don't listen to what he has to say. Who, who do they want you to listen to? A white progressive activist who's going to tell you that the Trump's Gestapo is coming in 48 days, snatching up people in parks and shutting things down. It's a it's a dystopian nightmare. Oh, shut up, dude. Nah, this is a guy who's going to tell you what's really going on. Unity said he said they go to neighborhoods and the first business they destroy is a black owned business. I want to see Americans come together as Americans. I want to see the world come together as humans. That's what we strive for. But I can't stand it. When I come to these events and I see these white progressive liberals, they're not liberals. That's not fair. I hate saying that. Leftists tell him he's not allowed a voice. No, I'm sorry. That's not how it works. The saying is that black lives matter. All right, I'm down. I've said it before. If you want to come to me and talk about people who have their rights violated, I'm totally on board to guarantee those rights. That's why people like Frederick Douglass were so awesome because he challenged Americans to stand up to that. But you know what that means? It means this officer, he gets to speak too. And he's going to stand there. He's going to, he's going to get his say, same as everybody else. And it also means the white officer, the Latino officer, the Asian officer, they all get a chance to speak up and we come together to solve our problems. You don't get to unilaterally shut everyone down and impose your will on everybody else and accuse some other people of being racist because they believe in law enforcement. Law enforcement are part of our communities. These, these Antifa types are a serious problem for us. And you, and you can see it if you would just listen. I know most of you who are listening uh, are literally <laughs> listening, but don't take it from me, man. I mean it. Watch this video. Go to the Daily Caller. Check it out. I'll put the link in the description below. Check this guy out. Smart dude. And, and, and I want to, I, you know, I'm glad I got to hear what he had to say. To be honest, it's confirmation bias for me because I've experienced it. Like, I, I mean, I, I've, I've, wa- I've witnessed it. It's a better way to put it. This guy knows what he's talking about. Hear him out. I got a couple more segments coming up in a few minutes and I will see you all shortly. Ilhan Omar recently sparked controversy when she made allusions to America and then said we must tear down oppressive system. So a lot of people made the, well, they, they drew the conclusion that Ilhan Omar was basically saying the political and economic system of this country needs to be destroyed and disrupted. So naturally, people are angry. But now those angry people may have some good news. There's, there's two things if you're a critic of Ilhan Omar. First, upset brewing in Minnesota 5 primary. Omar opponent raised two, uh, I'm sorry, raised millions of dollars in quarter two. Very interesting. We're also now hearing there's a resolution to condemn Ilhan Omar for saying, quote, we are not merely fighting to tear down the systems of oppression in the criminal justice system. We are fighting to tear down systems of oppression that exist in housing and education and healthcare, in employment and in the air we breathe, going on to allude to the fact that she wants to tear down basically the entire U.S. system. But let, let, let's leave with, uh, listen, we can get to the resolution, but let's talk about what's happening. She might actually lose this primary. Apparently, somebody's raised $3.2 million to go up against her. Now, to be fair, AOC defeated 
Michelle Crusoe Cabrera in New York's, I believe it was, I believe it's 14. But here's the thing. AOC raised millions of dollars, I believe like a million plus, And Michelle Crystal Cabrera did not raise nearly that much. But this this competitor, this rival to Ilhan Omar is way outpacing her. Let's see what's going on. Hot Air reports. Has Ilhan Omar grown too radical for even the heart of Minneapolis? New FEC filings in the DFL primary for her seat in Congress show Omar in serious trouble. The Star Tribune reported yesterday that challenger Anton Melton Moe raised seven times as much money as Omar scoring 3.2 million against Omar's 471,000. Whoa, man, that is spicy. Melton Moe now has twice as much cash on hand ahead of the August 11th primary. Wow, man, that is huge. Check this out. Melton Moe, a uh, a mediation lawyer who emerged on the DFL scene late last year to challenge Omar, told the Star Tribune he raised a staggering $3.2 million between April and the end of June, with $2 million cash left in the bank before August 11th primary. He dramatically outraised Omar, who took in $471,000 during the same time period. Omar's campaign said she has $1,111,000 left on hand ahead of the primary election. Now, she's got cash. She can spend that money. But that fundraise means something. People are putting their money where their mouth is. This could be the end of Ilhan Omar's congressional career. The fundraising gap would be striking for any newcomer challenging an incumbent. But it's especially notable in a race against Omar, a freshman Democrat and member of the squad who has risen to prominence as one of the first Muslim women elected to Congress. Omar herself is a prolific fundraiser, fueled in part by her national profile and her unabashed criticism of Donald Trump. Think about that. I never heard of this guy, Melton Moe. I never heard of him. Ilan Omar's got a national profile. She can raise money from everybody. And she's only brought in 471K. This dude, 3.2 million. Who's funding this guy? It's got to be some big crazy bank, right? No, it sounds like it's coming from the people. The difference is staggering, especially when dealing with a congressional incumbent in, the, in a primary. Challengers simply don't get that kind of attention from in-party voters under normal circumstances. Unless the incumbent has proven embarrassing or unreliable, the risk in changing horses for a general election fight is usually too much of a disincentive. Is Omar that embarrassing? Hot Air says, yes. And she has another strike against her as well. As I have noted before, that calculation matters a lot less in a stronghold in stronghold districts like MN5, where a Democrat is practically guaranteed a general election win. That means Democrats can feel safer in conducting a competitive primary although those still rarely produce substantial challengers. And almost never a challenger who can outraise an incumbent to this degree. Where has the money come from? A lot of it is coming from outside the district, but not all of it is, the Star Tribune notes. It's a dramatic surge for Melton Moe, who reported raising nearly 400,000 between December and the end of March. The influx of money came in part from some conservative donors and pro-Israel groups like nonpartisan NORPAC, which held a virtual fundraiser for Melton Moe in May, according to data from Act Blue, an online fundraising tool. A number of individual donors outside of the district contributed to ma- uh, contributed the maximum amount allowed in May. He's also received donations from prominent Minnesota Democratic fundraisers, such as Sam and Sylvia Kaplan. The Democrats are turning on Ilhan Omar. Wow. It's about the residents who live there, but they've certainly invited in 
enough outside money that now it's become more of a regional or national battle, said Todd Rapp, a longtime veteran of DFL campaigns. He said he's never seen so much money flood a single intra-party contest. It's kind of moved beyond our borders. This is one of the most epic battles in the Democratic Party's civil war. Over on the New York front, Ocasio-Cortez fended off her challenger, but the general election is coming up. I do believe it would be extremely unlikely that AOC will lose the general, but it is entirely possible. We've seen crazier things over in the UK. And if the Democratic Party is adamant about staving off this insurrection from the far left in their party, then perhaps they will actually support the Republican candidate. But we'll see. I don't think it's likely. Omar's anti-Semitic comments over the past two years are playing a big part in this. Much has been made about the voting power of the Somali immigrant community in Minneapolis, but there is a large Jewish vote in MNO5 too. Plus, the Somali community generally feels closer to the Jewish community than Omar's rhetoric would indicate, thanks to Jewish support for their migration and integration into Twin Cities life. Did Omar see this coming? Perhaps her pals did. A couple of weeks ago, the squad announced that it would partner on fundraising to keep themselves in Congress. Oh man, they know what's coming. The American people do not like the squad. They do not like the far left. And Joe Biden would be wise to heed this warning. You're not going to win pandering to this fringe sect of the Democratic Party. You're not. You certainly lose people like me. Here's what they say. U.S. Rep. Ilan Omar and the other three members of the group known as the squad launched a joint fundraising committee to support their reelection. Omar, along with U.S. Reps AOC, Ayanna Presley, and Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, recently announced they are creating the Squad Victory Fund. They'll use it to back their re-election campaigns and political action committees, which can provide support to other candidates. Ocasio-Cortez has already won her primary in New York when they launched this joint effort. Presley doesn't appear to have a primary challenger. Only Omar and Rashida Tlaib face significant challengers, with the latter trying her best via proxy to disqualify Detroit City Council President Brenda Jones from the August 4th primary. Wow, the squad is feeling the heat. That now looks more like a rescue mission for Omar and Tlaib. Money isn't everything in politics, but it's not nothing either. The huge influx of cash into MNO5 makes it very clear that some Democrats would be happy to see the anti-Semitic Omar disappear from the national stage and maybe take her campaign skimming husband with her too. Very, very spicy stuff coming from hot air. But listen, it's not just coming from the left. It is coming from the right. Look at this resolution. Mr. Big submitted the, uh, submitted the following resolution, referred to the committee. And I read you the first part. They say, whereas Rep. Ilan Omar continued, quote, as long as our economy and political systems prioritize profit without considering who is profiting, who is being shut out, we will perpetuate this inequality. We cannot stop at the criminal justice system. We must begin the work of dismantling the whole system of oppression wherever we find it. They say, whereas Rep. Ilan Omar has documented history of expressing anti-American sentiments, whereas Omar and other members of Congress continue to advocate for a Marxist form of government that is incompatible with the principles laid out in the founding documents of the U.S. <laughs> this is great. I got to do it. Whereas Karl Marx wrote in the Communist Manifesto that, quote, when in the course of development, class distinctions have disappeared and all production has been concentrated in the hands of a vast association of the whole nation, the public power will lose its political character. Political power properly, uh, political power properly so-called 
is merely the organized power of one class for oppressing another. Okay, so so where, where is it resolved? They say resolved. The House will, uh, condemns the statements of Omar, condemns members of Congress who advocate for Marxist policies, and reaffirms its commitment to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Okay, well, I love that they reference Marx. But as you can see, there is a massive backlash against Ilhan Omar specifically. I got to say, man, I've talked to a lot of friends. Many of them don't believe that she's actually made anti-Semitic comments. They think it's propaganda. It's all lies. She's not anti-Semitic. Dude, you got to read what she says, man. The way I describe it is that Ilhan Omar crop dusts anti-Semitism. You know what she does? She doesn't come out and just say things that, that shock people like, whoa, whoa. She comes out and says things where the, you know, you know what crop dusting is? I use this analogy a lot, where the plane gets real low to the ground and then sprays, you know, pesticides or whatever. That's what she does. She gets really close. You're like, is she really going to go there? Is she really going to say that anti-Semitic thing? And then she pulls up at the last minute and then everyone goes, well, she didn't actually say it. And you're like, yeah, but we know what she's doing. She's made references to cash, you know, all about the Benjamins and stuff like this. And that's why people want to see her lose. It would be huge if she does. But man, she's famous, just like AOC. And that fame, that means something. But I'll tell you what, there's no one more deserving of getting knocked out of the congressional race than Ilhan Omar, in my opinion. I don't know who this Melton Mo guy is, but it seems like he's bringing a lot of cash from outside the district. But so is Ilhan Omar. But Omar is also getting propped up by the squad. There's going to be a t- August 11th, man. It's coming up. I look forward to seeing how this plays out. But I can't say I'm surprised that she's facing a fierce challenge for the things she's said and done. I'll leave it there. I got one more segment coming up for you in just a few minutes. Stick around and I will see you all shortly. Well, I'm not a big fan of Jonathan Chait because I'm pretty sure he's the guy who claims that Donald Trump may have been a Russian asset since the 1980s. I am pleased to see that mainstream liberal elites are finally waking up to the white supremacy that is intersectionalism. That's right. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Woke SJW, anti-racists, whatever the word is, is literal white supremacy. But wait, before you say, Tim, what are you talking about? This is clearly the opposite of white supremacy. By why They call out white supremacy. As Jonathan Chait finally realized, as most of us already knew, when they put up a document or in a book, make claims that working hard is white culture, what they are saying is that, look, hard work is a good thing. You know, when you work hard, you succeed. Not always, but that's a contributing factor. They're basically saying these very important and good things were made by white people. Maybe not exclusively, but that's the message they put across. They are asserting that non-white cultures certainly don't have these things, right? Or at the very least, they want to abolish them. Yes, it is white supremacy. And I will tell you this as a mixed race, part Asian man. I bring it up a lot because, because I think it's, I think it's important, an important point to make. And uh, it's become a meme. I know, I know. But here's the point, man. I look back on, on the hard work, dedication and sacrifice on, on my mom's side of the family, how they risked everything to come to this country and the, and, the, and the cultural norms they had in their home country back in Korea. And I'm just going to sit there and think, I'm going to say this to these to these well, you know, these well to do white people who think they know about whiteness. I'm sorry, but, you know, my ancestors understood the concept of hard work, farming, schedules, religious worship, 
Spare me your lies. But now we have this story from New York Mag, and I got to say, it is so good to see it. It really, really is. It gives me some hope. They're finally realizing it. Is the anti-racism training industry just peddling white supremacy? Yes, yes, they are. When they tell someone like me that the hard work and dedication of my, my, my ancestors was, and, and my, my immediate family, like my great grandparents, mind you, was literally white culture. And I've actually had someone tell me the only reason that my family adopted certain practices was because white European colonists came there and no, 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 no. You do not get to, you do not get to claim that the, 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 these, these white liberal progressive, whatever you want to call them, I, I, I shouldn't say liberal, far leftists like to claim that it's their culture from Europe that, that emboldened my family's culture. Get out of here, dude. We know how to farm. We knew when the sun came up and went down. We knew what the stars were. Okay, we had hierarchy. We had class systems. <laughs> now, I get it. I'm part white. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm mostly white, actually. I'm not saying that I don't have European history as well. Of course I do. And I think that gives me a perspective of the fact that both sides of my family understand hard work. And this is literally white supremacy trying to erase the accomplishments of non-white people. Why? In America, we use Arabic numerals. The Harper's letter, big breaking story. A bunch of liberal elites finally realized cancel culture was bad. Thank you. Please. I hope we can fend off this lunacy. Here's what he writes. There's an old syllogism used to describe desperate politicians. One, we must do something. Two, this is something. Three, we must do this. In the wake of mass national demonstrations that followed George Floyd's murder, many white people, including leaders of businesses, schools, and nonprofit organizations, have grasped for some concrete step, concrete step they can take to redress systemic racism. Then he mentions everyone went and bought white fragility. For those that are not fans of white fragility, I have some good news for you. He roasts this woman. What's her name? Robin D'Angelo. He absolutely roasts her, calling her out for just trying to grift to make a sweet seven figure income off peddling literal white supremacy. He says the anti-racism consulting industry does deserve both some sympathy and some credit. Its intention to prod white Americans into more awareness of their own racism is uh, is beneficent and they're beneficent and their premise that white people are often unaware of the degree of which racial privilege has enabled their success, which they can mistakenly mistakenly attribute for merit and effort is correct. American society is, is shot through with multiple overlapping systems of racial bias from exposure to harmful pollution to biased policing to unequal access to education to unemployment discrimination, that in combination sustain massive systemic inequality. Now, I agree with the degree to which he brings this up. I do believe race plays a role, mostly based on past injustices, and I believe the solutions today are class-based. But I do believe it's fair to say that there is going to be, on the surface, racial disparities in policing and things like, edu- and, and, and things like education, but the reality is class-based at this point. You know why? Systems were built a long time ago that were racist. I know this because my family experienced them. We dissolved those things. Now the solutions are class-based because the rules are, for the most part, equal. While there are still some racists, we've outlawed a lot of this stuff. It's illegal to do these things, like housing discrimination. It still happens, and that's why we continue to fight every day. But the solutions are certainly, at this point, about class. All right? Here's what he says. But the anti-racism trainers go beyond denying the myth of meritocracy to denying the role of individual merit altogether. Indeed, their teaching presents individuals as a racist myth. In their model, the individual is subsumed completely into racial identity. Thank you. 
Thank you for finally pointing this out. Even though this guy's got raging TDS, I appreciate calling this out. But he does go on to bring up, you know, uh, stories, notably like Jackie Robinson, making the apt point that Jackie Robinson wasn't the first person capable of playing in the major leagues. He was the first person allowed to play in the major leagues. But his skill, his talent, his personality played a role in this. It wasn't just all of a sudden white people said, we allow it. This is a guy who fought very hard and proved it. And c- coming together, when, when, when we as Americans came together and recognized freedom and equality, he was able to play. But he goes on to bring up uh, that, that point I love so much. He says, the ideology of racism training industry is distinctly to the left of liberals. It collapses all identity into racial categories. Quote, it is crucial for white people to acknowledge and recognize our collective racial experience, writes D'Angelo, whose teachings often encourage the formation of racial affinity groups. This is what I have been saying for so long. Thank you. This is what, what, what D'Angelo is, is producing is white racial awakening, white racial identitarianism, not things America needs a resurgence of. He says, of course, D'Angelo's whites only groups are not dreamed up in the same spirit as David Duke's. The problem is that at some point, the extremes begin to, uh, to functionally resemble each other despite their mutual antipathy. I want to make it clear that when I compare the industry's conscious racialism to the far right, I am not accusing it of reverse racism or bias against white people. In some cases, its ideas literally replicate anti-black racism. Glenn Singleton, president of Courageous Conversations, a racial sensitivity training firm, tells Bergner that valuing, quote, written communication other other forms is a hallmark of whiteness as is scientific linear thinking cause and effect. This is not some idiosyncratic oddball notion. The African-American History Museum has a page on whiteness, which summarizes the ideas that racism trainers have brought into reality uh, into relatively wide circulation. The museum's page summarizes what it calls white culture in this astonishing graphic. I don't have it pulled up, but I showed you the other day where they basically say that, you know, if, if you believe in critical thinking, hard work, saving for the future, why that's whiteness. Then these activists call for abolishing it or shutting it down. That is to imply that minorities don't understand the concept of hard work. That is overt white supremacy. To go around thinking only white people believe in working hard is racist. Okay. (laughs) Isn't it easy to understand? Critical thinkers like we certainly get it. I know I'm, 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 I'm sure there's a lot of people who aren't critical thinkers who are watching and are angry, by the way. Look at this. He says, white values includes things, uh, include things like objective, rational thinking, cause and effect, hard work, plan for the future, delayed gratification. He mentions the source of it. He says, it is not clear what Katz's field of study allowed her to establish such sweeping conclusions. He goes on to say, one way to think through these uh, cultural generalizations is to measure them against the, its most prominent avatar for racial conflict, Donald Trump. How closely does he reflect so-called white values? The president hardly even pretends to believe that hard work is the key to success. Okay, I don't completely agree, but I do agree with the general sentiment. If you take a look at that graph where they claim that, you know, critical thinking and hard work are white culture, let me tell you something. I know a ton of white people who refuse to work hard, and I can call out a group of people who don't understand the value of hard work. Dare I just say, the Baitswa? Antifa? Man, no better example than not. Than, than, you know, there's no better example of breaking this myth of like white fragility and the far left identitarianism than Antifa. White people who don't adhere to schedules, don't have jobs, don't work hard, don't, don't save for the future, and just demand of others. 
That's why I really do. I really do appreciate the far left, these anti-fascists. You know why? The people in the street, because they really do show us that it's about ideology and not about race. He does bring up. Uh, I want to see here. Here, check it out. He says uh, a quote from D'Angelo: "Capitalism is so bound up with racism. I avoid critiquing capitalism. I don't need to give people reasons to dismiss me. But capitalism is dependent on equality, on an underclass. If the model is profit over everything else, you're not going to look at your policies to see what is most racially equitable." Parentheses added by Jonathan Chait. Presumably, D'Angelo's ideal socialist economy would keep in place at least some well-paid professions, say diversity consultant, which earns her a comfortable seven-figure income. Bravo, good sir. Credit where credit is due. The guy's got Trump derangement syndrome, no doubt. But that was incredible. Call it out where it needs to be called out. You want to know why this makes me happy? Because I was very triggered and I did this video calling out how they keep trying to claim that things that generate success are white culture. No, because I know a ton of people from my neighborhood who say, I don't know, joined gangs or overdosed and died. I also know some people from my neighborhood who are minorities who are now very famous and successful and wealthy. So spare me your lies about race. This, what he's pointing out is correct. These racial diversity training things are literal white supremacists trying to claim that their culture is the better culture, though they want to abolish it. Sure, whatever. They have guilty consciences but I'll wrap it up there. The main point of this segment is just to say, I'm glad the mainstream media is finally starting to call it out, perhaps giving me some, some hope for the future. Stick around. The next segment will be coming up tomorrow at 10 a.m. on this channel, and I will see you all then.